We've heard a lot about how to survive the coronavirus pandemic physically, but what about surviving financially? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and today I'm coming to you from my home in the Chicago suburbs instead of our normal studio. Like most of us, we're all sheltering in place and just trying to get through this coronavirus crisis. And of course, our first concern has been surviving this pandemic physically. But many of us are suffering financially as well, and we're wondering how we're going to make it. Christian ministries as well and nonprofits are getting hit really hard. In fact, I heard from a major sponsor of this podcast saying, man, we just can't afford to do anything that's non-essential at this point. So they're having to pull back. And I get it. Donations are down. We have to tighten our belts. But now the government has passed what's called the CARES Act, which provides money for nonprofits. Yet some say this is a Trojan horse and Christian ministries should exercise extreme caution before taking that money. Well, joining me today is Chuck Bentley of Crown Financial Ministries, and I'm so looking forward to getting his input on these critically important issues. But before I do, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors. One of them is Marcourt of Barrington, and right now you can shop for a car at Marcourt from the comfort of your own home. To see their showroom, just go to buyacar123.com. And if you live in the Chicago area, Marcourt will drop off the car at your home for an extended test drive. Plus right now, Marcourt is offering 0% financing for 84 months. That's seven years of zero interest. So again, you can just go to buyacar123.com. Also, I wanna remind you that Judson University's next World Leaders Forum is October 20th at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center. And the speaker for that event will be General David Petraeus, a four-star general and former director of the CIA. I know that's several months away, which is a good thing given our current situation, but I encourage you to mark your calendars now for the next World Leaders Forum on October 20th. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Well, again, joining me today is Chuck Bentley, CEO of Crown Financial Ministries. And I know Chuck has been extremely busy managing so many people's questions and their financial issues right now. So Chuck, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Julie, it is my pleasure. I've been a follower of yours for some time from a distance. And so to be invited onto the podcast is a real honor. And I mean that. Thank you so much. Oh, well, the feeling's mutual. I really appreciate what you're doing in your entire ministry. So thank you. There's two areas that I want to explore with you today. And one of them is just how to survive this whole pandemic financially when it comes to our own personal finances. And then secondly, I'd like to get into just exploring how Christian ministries will survive the crisis and whether they should take any money from the CARES Act. But let's start with surviving this crisis personally. How can we prepare ourselves, our households, to survive what's obviously going to be a very hard financial time? Well, I like the way you framed it out, Julie, because it's true that we have one crisis, which is a health crisis, and that's being managed with measures that have caused the second crisis, which is the economic crisis, it's, it's upon us. Uh, record unemployment, literally a vertical line of people losing their job, it's skyrocketing. Uh, uncertainty across the board, lots of uh, moving parts and, and uh, ambiguity. I've been talking to ministry, ministry leaders all over the world who just simply don't know what to expect, but we know this, it's gonna be rough. It's gonna be a bumpy ride. So I called my staff together and I actually called my children together 
And I said, you know, I do this professionally. I do this for a living, but I want to talk to you. I want to just give you just exactly what I think you need to be doing now. And Julie, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you the same talk that I gave to our staff and to to my children. I said, the first thing you need to do is cut back your spending by at least 25% for the next 90 days. Now, that's difficult to do. And some people roll their eyes. I still have a teenager at home that thought, man, what are you talking about, dad? Why? Well, the economy is going to shrink by at least that much. We know that all the the forecasters from Goldman Sachs on are saying at least 25% contraction in the next quarter. And that means that uh, we need to contract as well. That's difficult because we also need to support small businesses. And at the same time, we need to just be spending money on what's essential and pull back on what's non-essential. That's been done for us during the shelter in but I suspect that's going to be lifted here before long. And what we need to do is just decide where we can cut now, pull back on the spending. That's number one, Julie. Mm-hmm. And feel free to jump in there if you want any clarity on these. But number two, I said to uh, those that I'm advising, it's time to save as quickly as you can. If you headed into this unprepared, you'd better get prepared because it's going to be a really bumpy ride. And most people need at least $1,000 in emergency savings. 40% of Americans went into the pandemic without that, and they need to get $1,000 in saving as soon as possible. Three to six months in saving would be best. And so when you pull back on that spending, do so in a way that you can increase your savings. But then the third advice, and we can uh, I'll, I'll pause and let you answer, ask some questions about it, but sure. the third advice is to prepare to give sacrificially. If this were a fire or a flood or a tsunami or uh, an earthquake, there would be a huge outpouring of support. But it hurts my heart to hear that people are pulling back on their giving and they're not being sacrificially generous. But that's what's necessary at this time. And with the stimulus money that's coming into our mailboxes, I think you can look at that as either number, you know, the second goal I gave, if you don't have savings, then suddenly you've got some and you need to hang on to it and you need to be prepared to ride out the storm. But if you don't need it and you have savings, that's the time to give it away. Hmm. There's two things that I thought when, because I I read these steps that you have at your website, you can download actually all of these steps that you give advice and it's so helpful. When I saw the cut expenses 25%, I was thinking, well, I hadn't really thought that much about that because I thought my husband's income is pretty steady my income will likely take a cut. We've kind of gauged for that, but we we just hadn't thought that much about that. And so, I mean, I appreciate that. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably just wisdom that whether we think we're going to contract or not, we need to be cutting and just preparing because we really don't know for sure what's going to happen. But secondly, I'm guessing a lot of people, when you're talking about increasing that savings gap, are thinking my income has already gone down. Yes. So how on earth can I increase my savings and be sacrificially generous at a time like this? So what do you say to those folks? Well, there's certainly no advice that I could give or anyone could give suits everybody at the same time. Uh, we have to contextualize each person's individual circumstance. But there are those that are not hard hit. You mentioned your husband. He may be in an industry where his income's not affected at all. I know people like that. I'm speaking to the people whose income is affected 
who they are going to be in more pain than others. And you can actually save and give at the same time. Uh, I've been doing this for 20 years, Julie, and it's not easy, but I've seen people do it. I've seen people do it, whether they're widows who have very little to live on or people who are actually on uh, government assistance and they've been able to do it. But those are two biblical principles that have to coexist in tension, actually. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's clear that those are the things God wants us to do. Uh, you can save by cutting back your spending even more than 25%. Uh, I've had friends who've done it 50%. And that means they got rid of everything. No more Netflix. Some of them canceled their phone plans. Some of them have uh, upped their insurance coverage deductibles. They've gotten very, very creative to find margin to be able to set aside money and have some emergency funds so they can stop going into debt. And then sacrificially giving means that even though you're maybe uncomfortable, you're still putting other people's needs first. And what I've seen, Julie, over and over is just the faithfulness of God. When people act unselfishly, because our natural tendency is to hoard. Look at what happened to toilet paper. When we act unselfishly, we see God go to work and help us in ways we never could explain or understand. Mm. Yeah, I so believe that. And I think as we are generous, it comes back. Because I've seen people in their neighborhoods communicate to their neighbors, hey, if you need anything. And I know my neighbors and I, we've been exchanging stuff because we don't want to run to the grocery store when we don't have to. So we're, we're you know, calling each other all the time. Hey, do you have this? Do you have that? And we're helping each other out. And then I heard from somebody else who said, yeah, we live out in the country. We got a shotgun in case anybody wants to come and take our stuff. And I'm like, really? That's the disposition we're, we're having as Christians? I mean, that's that's not a Christian disposition. And I do think there's something to just keeping that open-handed and trusting. I mean, Chuck, aren't are we at a point where so many of us for so long have grown just sort of feeling like we're comfortable and don't need anything from anyone. And to have a situation where we feel we're aware of our weakness, we're aware of our dependency, this can be a healthy thing, spiritually especially. Well, I think so. Our late founder, Larry Burkett, used to say all the time, do you trust God or do you just say that you trust God? Mm. And we've gotten an opportunity to find out if we were just saying those words or we really believe them. And I love what you're talking about, neighborhood generosity. Uh, considering your neighbors during this time, we started a, a private Facebook page just for our neighbors. Huh. And we're keeping each other posted online. It's fantastic. We had uh, trees blown down during a recent storm. One of our neighbors is a widow. We showed up in her front yard all eager to help her. And turns out it was more complicated than we could do. So we hired a tree service to come and help her with the damage at her home. And we all chipped in $400 a piece, which was, well, you know, that was sacrificial for us. Uh, but she just loved it. And it made our, uh, the, the connection in our neighborhood like we've never had it. So you're right. Good things are coming out of this. Absolutely. Well, and when you were saying cutting back and looking for areas you can cut back, I know our family has found one of the places where we're spending zero, where we used to spend, you know, several hundred a month, to be honest, is eating out. And now we don't eat out at all. And I know probably those who are in the restaurant industry don't like to hear that. And we will certainly try to help our uh, neighbors who own restaurants as soon as we feel that's a good thing to do. But right now, I'm just kind of like, I would rather prepare this food ourselves in our own home. But that 
preparing all your food yourself and not going out to eat, that's got to be, I'm guessing, I don't know what the average is for Americans. You probably have a better idea, but that's got to be an expense that most Americans spend quite a bit per month. Am I right? Well, you're exactly right. It's 10% of the American budget, uh, which is food. Normally, families spend about 10% of their total income on food, and that includes eating out. And right now, eating out is down almost 90, 95%. They're surviving by takeout orders. And we're seeing some people designate churches or churches or designated restaurants that they're trying to help where they're buying food for shut-ins and they're distributing it that way. And they're helping these local businesses. But you're right. That's a category that's down significantly. Also travel, uh, you know, entertainment, all those areas, retail shopping, uh, they're down substantially. And what we're finding out is that we can, we can be okay. We can find contentment without going through retail therapy. Absolutely. And a lot of people probably, I know we had a vacation planned for spring break. That's not going to happen. Uh, as a result, we, we didn't get everything refunded, got credits with our airline tickets, which is what most people are getting. Um, but Obviously, we didn't spend that money that we would have spent on that vacation, a lot of it. And so that's one area of savings, too. We are looking at summer, whether we'll be able to take a vacation this summer. Do you think people should cancel their summer plans or do you think we'll be able to go through with those? Well, it's hard to know. I think that the pressure on the government right now is immense to open up what I call a targeted strategy for restarting society. It can't be just one size fits all, but there's going to have to be some protection on the most vulnerable once they find the common denominators of those who are most vulnerable to the disease. And then those who are not vulnerable, allow them to go back to work. We'll probably all be forced to wear a mask. Uh, but look, I, I think wearing a mask, we, we went to the grocery store recently and we wore our mask and made them at home and uh, we kind of had fun doing that. I think it's a way to show love to the people who are out working Mm -hmm. and, and serving. I don't consider it a restriction on my rights or something that I need to be complaining about. I'm happy to wear the mask, probably look better in it than, <laughs> than <laughs> and, you know, uh, and it's just be kind and considerate to other people and accept that as part of what we need to do to, to help society at large. It's frustrating to me to see people who are bucking the the system and saying they're going to hold their church services anyway and their rights are being violated. This is just common sense. Let's help one another. Yeah, absolutely. And I've said from the beginning, I think one of the ways we love our neighbor is by not infecting our neighbor or getting infected. Because if you get infected, you will likely infect two to three others. And that's how this pandemic spreads. So uh, it's so important that I think we follow these common sense measures. I want to turn to those who have lost their jobs, because I know there's a sizable number of Americans right now who are dealing with uh, having lost their employment. Speak to that person right now. How did they get through this? Well, a couple of ways. Number one, uh, the unemployment packages are unprecedented right now. In fact, I just talked to an employer before we got on the, the call today, Julie, that uh, he's not able to get some of his employees back right now because their unemployment package is better than if they went back to work. So you hmm. can draw federal unemployment benefits now for 10 months that's up from previous level at six months. It's now up to 10 and a half months. That's some indication of how long they think this may last. Secondly, you can get $600 a month stipend as in addition to those federal benefits, and you can draw state ben uh, unemployment benefits. 
So they've, they've really created a package to help people whose industry may be completely shut down. Uh, that's one way to get through it. And I think it's appropriate to receive those funds and to use them for this time to take care of your family. Secondly, I've seen, you know, the saying that mother, uh, or what is it? What's the necessity of invention? A necessity is the mother of invention. There we go. Yeah, necessity. Yeah. Uh, in a crisis, oftentimes your creativity increases and you begin to do things that maybe you never thought you would do. Look, all over our neighborhood, and I live in, a, in a, an area where there's a lot of clusters of homes, uh, there's somebody delivering these balloons for birthdays, and uh, they're all in the front yards, these happy birthday signs and all these balloons. Uh, people are started a business delivering things. There are people that are now driving food from one house to the other or driving packages from one house to the other. We're seeing innovative ways for people to supplement their income. I'm, I've seen a guy start a business helping elderly people know how to do Zoom and know how to do technology. <laughs> what is FaceTime? I mean, my, my father is 87, didn't know that his phone allowed him to FaceTime. And when he learned it, he was like, oh, this is cool. Uh, I can see you guys when we talk. And there's a service of an of a IT person who's now helping the elderly you know, these shut-ins or people in senior care facilities can't see their children right now. So they're teaching them technology and it's been a beautiful thing to watch. While some industries are hurt, others are booming. Uh, I have a kid in our neighborhood who said uh, his summer job is now restocking the grocery shelves in the evenings and they're just exhausted. They're working so hard. People in healthcare are overworked and they need backup reinforcement in those areas. Logistics company doing online selling, they need help right now. Uh, so what we're going to see, Julie, is a shift in skill set that's needed. Uh, we will recover, we will come back, and the people will get reemployed. But look, if you don't have the skill sets needed into the future, start using your time learning them now. What you invest in today will pay rewards and dividends in your future. Watching a lot of Netflix movies, that's not gonna help you get a job. But watching things that improve your skills, that will help you get reemployed. I just have to, to giggle. I was just talking to my, my father about Zoom, trying to explain it to him recently. I think I need that service. <laughs> help my dad, help my, help my father. It's so funny yeah. to watch them. And you know, uh, it's a joy for them to be able to connect. I, I got to talk to my father by Zoom on Easter Sunday. Uh, he's 87. He's been sheltered in for almost a month. And it was just mm -hmm. such a joy to see him and talk to him. And I appreciate people who know how to work the technology better than I do, for sure. Yeah, well, it's something that we've gotten very used to using the Zoom. We, we're doing it with our small group. We're doing it with our extended family. Uh, we're doing it with our good friends. And it it's life. It really is because you can feel so isolated at home, especially if you're an extrovert like I am. Uh, I need that. I really need that. And it's the only way I can see my grandson right now. So it's, that's been killing me, but <laughs> at least I see him on video. I want to hug him, but that's all I could do right now is, is see him on Zoom. Let's turn our discussion now to this CARES Act. For those who uh, maybe have just read the headlines and they're not really aware how this might affect nonprofits and ministries and churches, can you explain the portion of the CARES Act and the way that it impacts ministries and nonprofits. Yeah, Julie, $350 billion was set aside for the not-for-profit sector. That includes Christian ministries and even churches. 
Uh, and the idea is under what's called the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program. It's really the Payroll Protection Loan Program where you can apply for a small business administration loan and get up to two months of your payroll advanced you in the form of a loan. And if you don't lay people off, it actually becomes a grant. And so that uh, was presented to us. Our board of directors looked at it and obviously uh, we're an employer and we wondered, do we need to do this? And so we took it to our board and uh, our board actually decided that we did not want to participate. And I published a, a letter to other pastors and ministry leaders asking them to consider whether they should or not, not telling them what they should do, but just asking them to pause and to pray and to consider the, the pros and the cons of this decision. Because my understanding is that the people who are promoting it were so busy, they were overwhelmed. In fact, one Zoom call maxed out at 3,000 pastors. And so they had to roll over into Facebook Live and they had 3,000 standing by to hear how to make application for the loan. And we, we were like a lone voice crying in the wilderness. Wait a minute. Do you really need the loan? And do you, and, and this is what I'm hearing on Facebook a lot. So this is a social media conversation around this is do you, especially as a church, but even as a Christian ministry, do you want to be indebted to the state, to the government. And so I'm hearing Christians raising red flags and wondering, is this a way for government control? I'm also hearing some Christian ministries say, well, no, it's a temporary loan. It's not a permanent indebtedness. It's just for to get over the crisis. What's your feeling on that particular discussion? Well, we've studied it pretty closely. And there's two factors that I think people need to understand. Number one, it is legal. The Small Business Administration, um, is the rules have changed where they can make a loan to people who discriminate on the basis of faith. In, in the past, they could not make that loan, but it, those laws have been suspended or rewritten for this particular act. And so it's legal, and I don't think that uh, you're causing, you know, you're not going to be in sin by taking the loan. In fact, we did some research on it, Julie, and there's a number of times in the scripture where the government does help God's people. You know, the uh, Pharaoh provided land in Goshen for the Jews and the great famine in Egypt. Artaxerxes provided help to Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. And there's just a number of places where it's okay. It, it's not necessarily uh, compromising if that help is available and you deem it as appropriate. But the other factor is the money is truly coming from taxpayers. Uh, so a lot of times we say, well, it's a small business administration loan. No, it's taxpayer money. Right. And typically the people I'm talking to are tax exempt charitable organizations, 501c3s, running Christian ministries and Christian churches. Now, if you have transactional revenue, like from a school or some sort of uh, program where it's run more like a business in a not-for-profit uh, wrapper in a not-for-profit government or legal context, that's a different situation. But if you're an organization that depends on the donor, we believe that if you want to preserve your tax exempt status going forward, it's wise, although it's legal, you can take it, it's wise not to take it. Because I think it's gonna become a political football to challenge those organizations or even the whole sector 
with their tax exempt status in the future. That's already been under challenge. And no sooner had I published my article than a group of people who are not happy that Christian organizations are getting this money. They're an organization for the separation of church and state filed a complaint and they're threatening lawsuits uh, for the constitutionality of this act. So I would like to be counted among those who said, well, we had access to it and it was okay if we did it. We're not going to condemn or judge anybody for doing it, but we chose not to. Uh, Alan Mulally did that when Ford Motor Company qualified in the 08-09 great financial crisis for the bailout from the government. They were the only American automobile manufacturer not to take the bailout money. And it improved the, the goodwill among his customer base. And uh, I thought it was a courageous decision and one that I would expect Christians to be able to make, Julie, that we have, we, have a, we have a better support plan than the taxpayer, in my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And on the whole non-for-profit and losing non-for-profit status, I mean, I've done a lot of reporting, as you know, on financial mismanagement of ministries and churches. And we're in a precarious situation right now because of some of our mismanagement and not being transparent, not filing 990s, and misusing funds. Some churches, for example, obviously I've been publishing a lot about Harvest Bible Chapel and what happened there, and they've made some changes, and I I hope it's better. But the public is, and in some cases, rightly upset, I think, with the Christian community and its financial management or mismanagement. And so I, I do think you're right that there could be a real backlash, and we're hearing it from some of these organizations. I know a piece I did recently got picked up by the Friendly Atheist, and I wasn't really pleased about that because... I like to report within the Christian community, I want us to reform ourselves, right? Right, right, right? I don't want it to come because the world is telling us to clean up our act. I want it to come because we are as Christians purifying what's happening within the church. But I think that point is well taken, that if we don't abide by best practices, and again, taking taxpayer money for our ministries, maybe that should be a real caution, I think, to us. And so I'm very actually appreciative for what you did, Chuck, and putting that open letter out there. Again, you're not sinning if you take this money, but I do think, and I agree with you 100%, that uh, we should be very, very cautious about doing that. A lot of unintended consequences. I want to thank our our board of directors for that decision, Julie, because, you know, I took it to our board and they asked me to write a, a, a sort of an analysis of whether we should or shouldn't. And I put it in, I did my pros and my cons and, and just some biblical context to it, put it in their hands. And they unanimously said, we want to be an organization that, that says no. Mm-hmm. And they liked the letter I wrote to them so well, they said, why don't you publish that? So I did. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten lots of traction and not all of it positive. And you know how that goes, Julie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one pastor said to me, well, all of my staff members are taxpayers. And therefore, if they're taxpayers, uh, we should be able to qualify to get some tax money. And, and I wasn't, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that perspective. It's true. I'm a taxpayer, you're a taxpayer. Mm-hmm. But we get a taxpayer stimulus individually. And I think we should take that. And I think it's appropriate for that. But I don't think for an organization that is tax exempt, that we don't pay taxes like other corporations, that we should turn around and say, when we get into trouble, the taxpayer comes to our rescue. 
Mm-hmm. And look, the bottom line for our board was this, and I'm so proud of them. They said, would you rather be at the mercy of God or at the mercy of man? And, and mm-hmm. the bottom line was, we will take the mercy of God every time. We will trust him. If we fail, if we crash and burn, we did it full and with our full confidence in the Lord. And that's where we want it to be. And we've gotten some of the sweetest letters from people who said, oh, I am so comforted by knowing you really do trust the Lord. (laughs) You know, you really do, because it's oftentimes the money that separates us from exercising faith. And, And I think it's why so many organizations get into trouble. They get into a lot of debt. They get in over their head because they haven't learned to wait and trust God with everything that they're about. And how could we as an organization who've been teaching this for 44 years turn around and do differently? You know, uh, we, we couldn't tell other people to do that and then not walk the walk ourselves. So we're, we're happy to be in this position. We feel vulnerable in one sense uh, that what if, you know, we, we, made, <laughs> we made a mistake and we end up the, the group that uh, goes out of business. Well, We'll go out of business fully trusting God, and we'll be happy with that. And there are worse things. There, there are worse, worse things. things. Yeah. yeah, God would just tell me I wasn't very needed for such a time as this, <laughs> and I'll have to find something else. Yeah, well, I have a feeling that's not going to happen, but I, I appreciate what you're saying. A couple of things I appreciate about what you're, what you're saying. One is that you went to your board, and your board obviously has voice. And that just that one thing right there that Chuck didn't go into his board and say, we're going to do this. And the board was a bunch of rubber stamps. That's important. And I just appreciate that because it's uh, sorely needed in a lot of organizations, I think. So I appreciate your board did that. But two, when you're talking about this, I do think finances are the one area where we are so easily tempted to sin. And I think it's because of fear. I think exactly what you're saying, trusting the Lord, overcoming our fear. And I know I told my son recently, actually, um, because we were talking about this very thing and about finances and he's trying to figure out an employment situation and whether or not he's going to launch out on something he's really feeling called to do. And and I told him, because I remember very vividly back in my 20s, there was an agreement we had made with um, some family members and involved money. And then when the rubber hit, hit the road and there was a lot of fear involved, and I remember at the time I was like, they were saying, well, this was what you agreed to. And I'm like, well, no, it was this. And, you know, that's really how I, how I remembered it. But again, I had a, a vested interest in remembering it that way. And I remember about six months after everything had happened, and we were, we're close. It was a little bit of chaos, but we're close today. And, and actually it didn't destroy our relationship then either. But six months after for some reason, I recalled what I had said and that they were absolutely right. And I had to go back to them and just ask for forgiveness for that. But I realized I was so blinded by my fear because I was afraid that we wouldn't be able to make it financially. And that was hard for me. And and that stuck with me. I mean, that was, again, when I, I was in my 20s now, it's like 30 years later, but it stuck with me throughout my life. I've realized that whenever finances are involved or a job is involved, that is when we are most likely to do things we would never otherwise do and to sacrifice our integrity. And so it showed me my own vulnerability 
And I've tried to communicate that to my kids. Watch it with money because money is that one thing. And it's not that you're greedy. It's probably just that you're fearful. And so, Julie, because the number one reason people aren't more generous, it's not greed, it's fear. Yeah. We fear that if we give today, God won't provide tomorrow. And I think that's one of the things that we are going to have an opportunity to get over uh, that fear during this time. We can give now trusting God for tomorrow. The same goes for churches. We, I think it's important for churches to talk to their people before they take the, the taxpayer money. You know, we haven't, and I, I'd be careful I say this, but we haven't had any church or any organization reach out to us and say, we're, we, this downturn has caused us pain. We need your help. And so I'm wondering if churches are going to do the right thing and reveal to their congregations or the ministries like ours, reveal to their partners that they applied for the loan and they got the funding. I even saw one organization uh, saying, call in and I'll tell you how to leverage the loan, you know, to raise more money with it. And I thought, oh no, you know, that's about the last thing we need to be commingling is uh, our donor base with the taxpayer bailout. To me, you have to choose one or the other. And uh, if you do take the money, I think it's important for churches to uh, let their congregation know that they received that help. And, uh, you know, the, the other dilemma they're going to face, if they're in trouble now and this economic downturn goes on for a while, what if they can't pay it back? What if they can't right. meet the covenants of the loan? Uh, and the people in the congregation don't appreciate the fact they took the loan and they don't want to be a part of paying it back. It could get really uh, complex quick. Yeah. Better to tighten your belt than to take a loan. And that's for our personal finances, our ministries, everything. Much better to do that and to, to stay out of debt. Chuck, I know we're, we're running out of time and uh, I know you have some things you need to get to, but would you just pray for individuals listening right now who are really fearful and, and ministry leaders? Because I think both are just really needing to to trust the Lord. And yet it's a really difficult time to do this, but this is where the rubber meets the road. So if you would pray for them, I would really appreciate that. I'd be honored. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful to know you, to be allowed to be in your family, to be redeemed from our sin and redeemed from uh, our, the darkness that we once walked in and to have the joy of calling you Abba Father. And knowing that we really can trust you, you care for us, you know our needs and you identify with our hurt and our pain and our sorrow and our grief and especially our fear. Thank you, Lord, that Julie pointed out today that oftentimes we experience financial problems because of fear. We're driven to overreact or to uh, do things that maybe don't make any sense at all That uh, because we're just afraid of, of tomorrow. We're afraid of what might happen if we don't have provision. So Lord, I want to pray for three groups right now, as Julie mentioned. I want to pray first for pastors. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray that they will pause. They, they will pray. They will seek leadership and counsel and input before they apply for the loan. And Lord, not to feel condemnation if, they, if that's the way you provide for their needs right now. But Lord, I just pray they'd look to you first and they would communicate to your people openly and transparently what their real needs are and allow you and the church to be the first responders to the crisis. 
Lord, I want to pray for ministry leaders who are in the same dilemma that we've been in. And we've experienced the pause and the, the concern about tomorrow and the fear. Lord, I, I, we don't know what's going to happen to charitable giving. Um, and so we, we just pray that they will not be driven by fear, that they will be strong and courageous, that they'll have that different spirit upon them like Caleb and Joshua had, who in the midst of fear were able to take faith uh, driven action and to be bold, even though the circumstances were frightening. And I want to pray for families who are listening. Lord, I pray that they'll implement these three simple steps, that they'll truly cut back on their spending, Lord, that they will uh, be able to increase their savings and increase their generosity. Lord, I pray this is the opportunity for the church to show itself to be different and to be the fragrant aroma of you who came to be unselfish that you poured out everything for our benefit and gain. And I want to pray against the spirit of fear that you did not give us. Mm -hmm. That fear that's in families right now where there's stress or somebody's lost a job or somebody feels uh, under enormous pressure in their marriage because of their finances. Lord, that you would be present, tending their needs, giving them new ideas and new hope and helping them through the crisis, Lord, as they depend on you. I just pray for families to stay strong and to be the salt and light we need in the culture right now, to be people who truly demonstrate faith, that we, if we try to walk by sight, it's all frightening. But if we walk by faith, then we can have peace and contentment and joy. I thank you, Lord, for Julie's commitment to integrity and finances and calling out those who have misstepped. And Lord, I do pray that there'll be reformation in our own hearts, starting with me, mm-hmm. as we think about you and and having complete transparency and integrity with finances. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Chuck, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed our discussion and um, just really appreciate your ministry, especially now. So needed. Thank you, Julie. I want to say the same thing. Thank you for what you stand for and the courage that you've had. I know it's not been an easy journey for you and your family, but God bless you. And I pray for your provision. I, I know that, uh, when a sponsor pulls back, that's not easy, but maybe the Lord will raise up a new one today. No, well, we hope so. We hope so. And we know God is faithful. So whatever happens, we trust. We trust. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce, And if you'd like to find me online, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. Hope you have a great day. Stay safe and healthy. And God bless. Mm-hmm.